Amen. Well, if you're joining us for the first time, welcome. We're glad you made it. Um, here at Refuge, we teach through God's Word verse by verse. So on the back table, we have a bunch of Bibles. We have English, Thai, Chinese, Korean, whatever your language is. Hopefully it's back there. And if it's not back there, let us know so we can get one. And if you don't own a Bible and you would like one, please let us know. It, that would be a great problem for us to have, to have to get more Bibles. So please... If you need a Bible, let us know, and we'd love to get you one. So we're continuing through our chronological study of the gospel, and last week we finished up Matthew chapter 15, and we looked at three stories, if you remember. The first story was the story of the Syrophoenician woman, and she came to Jesus with a a very large problem going on in her life. Her daughter was demon-possessed. And so she came and she interceded for her daughter, and Jesus ended up healing this woman's daughter. The second story we looked at was Jesus going out along the Sea of Galilee and he encountered thousands of people. These multitudes came to Jesus and it said Jesus had compassion on them and he healed them. Jesus, he wasn't inconvenienced by them, but he took time to have compassion on them and to heal them. The third story we looked at was Jesus feeding the 4,000. And in all three of these stories, we saw a great display of Jesus' power and what he's able and capable of doing. And so last week we asked the question, are you surrendering to the power of Jesus? Are you laying down whatever it is that's been taking your eyes off Christ, and are you laying that down and surrendering it to him and to his power? And so the follow-up question today is, have you done it? Have you surrendered that thing or those things in your life that have been separating you from the Lord? And if you haven't, I pray that you would just lay that down at the feet of Jesus. We also studied how Jesus modeled for us how we are to be in ministry. He was full of compassion and full of grace. He was never inconvenienced. He never responded in anger or rashly towards people. He was patient. He was compassionate and gracious, and we're called to do the same. So during these events, Jesus went beyond Galilee to the region of Tyre and Sidon, if you remember, to a place called Canaan or Syrophoenicia. And after he encountered the woman, he left went along the Sea of Galilee, and the last thing we saw in the last verse of Matthew 15 was Jesus was headed to the region of Magdala. So today we're going to pick up what happens next, but we're going to actually be in Mark's Gospel. So turn with me in your Bibles to Mark chapter 8, and we're going to start in verse 11 today. So if you're following along, Mark chapter 8, starting in verse 11, look what it says. Then the Pharisees came out and began to dispute with him, seeking from him a sign from heaven, testing him. So Jesus really doesn't get a break, does he? He gets to the region of Magdala, and as soon as he gets there, he's encountered by these religious leaders. Now, the region of Magdala was the northwestern shore of the Sea of Galilee. And this was a fishing village where fish were taken and processed. They were dried out and salted. And so, just a small area, Jesus was there ministering. And like many other cities, there were synagogues. And so the local religious leaders came out, and they came out to test Jesus. And Mark wastes no time in Mark's gospel. It's a short gospel, right? He's very quick with his words, and he tells us immediately the intention of these religious leaders. They came out to dispute or to question and examine Jesus. And like we mentioned a couple weeks ago, the religious leaders, their intention was to trap Jesus in his words. They really had no intention of believing on him. They didn't come out genuinely asking these questions most of the time. They came out seeking to accuse Jesus and to trap him in his words. And so in verse 11, it tells us they came out and they were seeking a sign from Jesus to test him. 
The word testing here, interestingly enough, interprets to mean tempting. And it's the same word that was used to describe Satan tempting Jesus in the wilderness in Matthew chapter 4. Because Satan was tempting Jesus not only to sin, but to go against who he was. And the religious leaders are doing the same thing. They want Jesus to go against his character and his nature, and to go against who he is. The religious leaders, they were spiritually blind. They were blind to truth. They were blind to who Jesus was, their Messiah, their long-awaited Messiah right in front of them. They were spiritually blind. And they wanted to tear down who Jesus was and remove him from every part of life. And not much has changed today because Satan's tactic is the same today and he wants to remove the name of Jesus from anything and everything that he can and to tear down the name of Jesus. He's trying to remove Jesus from schools, from homes, from governments, from society, and yes, even your ministries that God has called you to. And this is a scary fact that a lot of missionaries and a lot of people who serve God are slowly taking out the name of Jesus and taking emphasis off the Word of God. Why? This is Satan's intention because the name of Jesus and the Word of God is the only thing that has the power to save. And so Satan is trying to tear down Jesus just like he was trying to do when he tempted Jesus and just like these religious leaders were trying to do. But Jesus, he was always calm. Notice Jesus is a great example for us. Jesus doesn't lash out at these religious leaders. He doesn't call fire down from heaven on them. He's patient with them because Jesus still had his reputation and his character to uphold. And for the same as us as Christians, as people are seeking to tear down our character and our reputation, we need to make sure that we're living our lives in godliness and representing Christ well. As we go out and bear the name of a Christian, we're going out and bearing the name of Christ. And so we would do well to live like Jesus and not to live like this world. So examine your heart and your life. Just go back this week. Were people able to see Jesus in the way you lived your life this week? Were people able to hear Jesus in your speech this past week? When people look at you, do they see Jesus or do they see the world? Now, the religious leaders, they were seeking a sign and they were probably seeking something to be done by Jesus that was greater than a healing, greater than the miracles Jesus was performing, right? They, they weren't content with who Jesus was. They weren't taking him at his word. They wanted to see more and more. And many people are like that today, not content with who Jesus is, but keeps wanting more and more from him but not willing to accept who he is and surrender to him. Are you content with Jesus today? And I want you to think on that question. We're going to come back to it. But let's look at verse 12. See how Jesus responds to the religious leaders. But he sighed deeply in his spirit and said, Why does this generation seek a sign? Assuredly, I say to you, no sign shall be given to this generation. We're told Jesus sighs deeply in his spirit. This, this phrase, it describes a sigh that is almost a lament. Jesus wasn't angry and filled with rage that these religious leaders were hard-hearted. Jesus had sorrow that their hearts were so hard. And it really goes to show Jesus' intentions. Though he often contended and rebuked the religious leaders, his heart was always the same. He wanted to reach them. He ministered to them because he loved them. He wasn't fed up with them. He had sorrow in his heart because of how hard their hearts were. He was sorrowful that he was not considered enough that they kept seeking more and more from Jesus instead of merely being content that he was who he said he was. And I wonder, does your heart look like the heart of the religious leaders today? Where you're not content with who Jesus is. Where Jesus is someone you only go to when you need something. Where you don't pay him much regard throughout the rest of the week. But are you content with who he is? Is Jesus enough for you? 
the Apostle Paul, he really modeled for us what a heart that is content with Jesus looks like. And he wrote this in Philippians 4, verses 11 through 13. He said, Not that I speak in regard to need, for I have learned in whatever state I am to be content. I know how to be abased, and I know how to abound. Everywhere and in all things I have learned both to be full and to be hungry, both to abound and to suffer need. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. This is what a heart that's content with Jesus looks like. A heart that's not carried away by the circumstances of life, but a heart that is surrendered to Jesus and willing to do whatever he wants, whenever he wants. Paul never once complained about his circumstances being chained up in prison. Instead, he rejoiced in his circumstances, knowing that everything that he went through was an opportunity for ministry. When Paul was chained up to Roman guards, he said, Oh, praise the Lord. I'm telling the guards about Jesus. Oh, I'm in prison, but now I'm telling Caesar's household about Jesus. Paul was content with Jesus. Jesus was enough for him. Is Jesus enough for us? Even when Paul was going to Jerusalem, many of the other Christians said, Don't do it, Paul, because if you go, you're going to be imprisoned. And Paul's response was, Even if chains and death await me, I'm going to do what Jesus wants me to do. That's what a heart that's content with Jesus looks like. Do we have that heart? Or do we keep coming to Jesus seeking more and more, but not surrender? Somehow we've created this idea that we as the creation are greater than God who's the creator. We think that God owes us something. When in reality, God owes us nothing. We owe Him everything. And despite the fact that Jesus owes us nothing, He still gave everything, even His life for us. So the very least we could do daily is give, uh, give Him all of us. Have we forgotten that Jesus is enough? And I believe someone needs to hear that today. Jesus is enough. And we need to be content with who He is. So Jesus continues in verse 12, and He tells them that no sign would be given to them. Now, I think when many people read this, they wonder, why wouldn't Jesus just give them a sign? If He would have given them a sign, surely they would have believed in Him, right? But Jesus knows that giving them a sign wouldn't have changed the state of their heart. Jesus never performed miracles to prove who He was, to prove a point. He did miracles to give God the glory and for the hearts that were truly searching to increase and strengthen their faith. Jesus, he doesn't force himself upon anyone. And the religious leaders were making a demand to Jesus and Jesus, he doesn't force himself. He's seeking relationship. He's seeking hearts that are surrendered to him. Jesus knew that signs and wonders, they don't produce faith. They might be a supplement to faith, but they don't produce it. Faith's a gift from God. And faith comes through surrender. Surrendering to Jesus. But like many of the people Jesus encountered, these religious leaders didn't want to surrender. They wanted what was tangible. Let's look at verses 13 through 15. And he left them, and getting into the boat again, departed to the other side. Now the disciples had forgotten to take bread, and they did not have more than one loaf with them in the boat. Then he charged them, saying, Take heed, beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and the leaven of Herod. So Jesus left these religious leaders... And he's on his way to the other side, and he was heading northeast on the Sea of Galilee, and we're going to find out later exactly where he went. But as he was going, he continues to teach the disciples. It's always a learning moment for the disciples, isn't it? Jesus is always teaching them. And what a good place to be, always to be teachable and ready to receive from Jesus, right? But Jesus was teaching the disciples, and he tells them, beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and of Herod. Now, we know according to Matthew's account of this in Matthew 16, 12, that when Jesus mentioned leaven, he was referring to the teaching of the religious leaders. This is what Jesus was referring to. So why did he compare it to leaven? Well, leaven is a substance, right? Mostly yeast, and it goes into dough and it causes it to rise. 
But whether you put in a little bit of leaven or a lot, it still has the same effect. It does the same thing, right? And throughout Scripture, most of the time, biblically, leaven is considered to be representative of sin and corruption. And it started back in Exodus 12, when God was instituting the Passover for the Israelites before the last plague in Egypt was poured out. He told the Israelites, as you prepare, put no leaven in your bread. Not only that, but no leaven is to even be found in your house. It was supposed to be a sign for Israel that they were set apart and that they weren't living a life of sin and corruption anymore, that they were being set free. Leviticus, the grain offering was offered before God. There was to be no leaven offered in it. And even in the New Testament, leaven is still compared to sin. Paul likened sin in the church in 1 Corinthians to leaven, saying that if a little bit is in there, it's going to cause corruption for the entire church. And so the connotation from Jesus here is the same, right? He's comparing it to something that's sinful. And as these religious leaders were spiritually blind, they were giving out a message that was going against the actual commands in the Word of God. And the same is true today with false teaching spreading more rampant now than ever. And false teaching is a powerful tool of Satan because it creeps into the church. And many times it's unnoticed and it's causing many people to stumble and keeping many people from the truth. And just like leaven, if you put a little bit of it in, it's enough to cause great damage to the entire church. False teaching is a very big deal, and God doesn't take it lightly. In 2 Timothy chapter 4, verses 3-4, through 4, Paul wrote this to Timothy. He said, The time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine, but according to their own desires, because they have itching ears, they will heap up for themselves teachers, and they will turn their ears away from the truth and be turned aside to fables." And this very thing is happening today. There are many hearts that are hardened to the gospel and they don't want to hear the sound teaching of Scripture. There's many people who want to have their ears tickled and they want to hear what's going to benefit their sinful lifestyle. People don't want to be challenged in their faith. They don't want to go deeper. And so they they take teachers who teach them what they want to hear to suit their own desires. And because of this, God's Word is unfortunately being watered down in many places. The commands of Scripture are being watered down, and this is happening all over the world, and it's infiltrating the church. And it's our responsibility as Christians to be well-learned in the Scriptures. This isn't just for a pastor or teacher. This is for all of us in here to be studying daily, being like the Bereans in Acts, who were carefully observing and checking the Scriptures to make sure that what was being taught was accurate. We need to guard our hearts against false teaching. And the only way to do that is to be in the Word of God. So are you in the Word? So this example of false teaching, it's a good application that we can draw from this text, but it's important before we move on that we don't skip the heart of the context here. What was the actual teaching that Jesus was referring to that he called sinful and corrupt? The teaching Jesus referring to here is a teaching of hypocrisy and pride that the religious leaders had. Pride is the culprit of any spiritual blindness. For any spiritually blind person, you're always going to find at the root and at the source, pride. And pride will destroy the ministry that God has called you to. Pride will destroy the relationships that God has you in. And pride is such a severe sin because it takes the focus and attention off Jesus and it puts it on ourselves. Pride ultimately is an act of self-worship. It's rooted in self-righteousness and conceit. And the end result of pride is always the same. Destruction. Proverbs chapter 16, verse 18 says, Pride goes before destruction and a haughty spirit before a fall. 
And pride is such a nasty sin because it never just sits and stays stationary in your heart. It always grows and it festers and it always evolves into something else. At the root of every sin, you will find pride. And the religious leaders, they were teaching from a place of pride and hypocrisy. They were teaching men to do commands that they themselves weren't doing. And because of their pride, they were blind to the truth that Jesus was sharing to them. So with that said, is there a pride in your heart today? Is there a pride in your heart that you need to confess and repent of? Pride's a serious thing. And it's a very inclusive sin. All of us in here struggle with it. Is there pride in your heart? It needs to be dealt with. Because if pride is not dealt with, it will cause destruction. There are many ministries that don't make it. Many people who go out to serve God who don't last. Why? Because at the root, many times, is pride. Suddenly, the focus and attention has been taken off Jesus and what He's able to do, and it's been put on ourselves. Look how many people I saved. Look how many churches I've planted. Look how many nations I've reached. When in reality, it's God who does the work. We're just His tool. God is the one who does the work. And many times, we we get so caught up in our accomplishments, and instead of giving God the glory, we take the glory for ourselves. And because of our stubborn pride, so many times, we think that we're able to reach people and save people in our own ways, in our own resources, and it's not true. And this is why many ministries fail, because we're not capable. Only Jesus is. And Jesus doesn't need any one of us in here, but praise God for His grace that He wants each one of us in here. And each one of us are invited into this work. But we need to guard our hearts against pride. If anyone had a reason to be prideful, it was Paul by worldly standards, right? He, he planted many churches within Asia and in Asia Minor. He evangelized to thousands of people. He was really a pioneer for bringing the gospel to the non-Jewish people. He was also very educated. He was trained to be a Pharisee. So he was very, he was very quick with his speech, very knowledgeable. And yet, Paul wrote this in Galatians chapter 6, verse 14. He said, God forbid that I should boast, except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, by whom the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. And this needs to be our heart and our attitude as we serve God. And I believe that's for all of us in here, because we all struggle with pride. But I believe someone needs to hear that. That pride in your heart, it needs to be dealt with. It needs to be dealt with. Because it will fester and it will continue to spread and the end result will be destruction. Pride will destroy the ministry God has called you to. And pride will destroy the relationships He has you in. James chapter 4, verse 6. I love this verse and this should encourage each one of us. He says, but He gives more grace. Therefore, He says, God resists the proud but gives grace to the humble. So this should encourage our hearts that if we are having a heart of pride in here and we have been spiritually blind this week because of the pride in our hearts, Praise Jesus for His grace. He is gracious, He is kind, He is merciful, and He is forgiving. And all we have to do is just come and repent of our pride. But here's the thing. We won't repent of something we won't acknowledge we have. And so the key to restoration is acknowledging that you need to repent and that you need to change. So is there pride in your heart? It needs to be dealt with. Let's look at verse 16. And they reason among themselves saying, it is because we have no bread. I love the disciples. I really do. Because they just, they, every week we read about something that they say that's wrong. Or, or something that they do wrong. They always miss the point, it seems like. And, and I'm, I'm thankful when I read this because I'm just like the disciples. But the disciples, once again, were missing the point that Jesus was trying to share with them. They were ignorant to the spiritual aspect of what Jesus was saying to them because they were so focused on the physical. 
And many times we do the same thing. We miss what Jesus is trying to do right in front of us, what Jesus is trying to speak to us because we're so caught up in the physical things of this world and our eyes are not on Jesus. So many Christians who are, who are so upset over the darkness in the world that instead of, of going out and sharing the light of Scripture, they just sit back and they ignore the need to bring the light of Jesus. They're so focused on the physical that they lose sight of the spiritual and the power that Jesus has to bring change. Jonah's a great example of this. God told Jonah, go to Nineveh and preach a message, a message of repentance. And Jonah said, I'm not going there. Are you? No. Do you even know what these people do? Do you know how wicked they are? And Jonah had a point. If you want to read some disturbing things, go read what the people of Nineveh did. They were wicked. But God saw something that Jonah didn't see. Jonah saw the physical, but God saw that there were hearts there that were willing to repent. And many Christians are just like Jonah. They're so focused on the state of this world physically that they lose sight of the need spiritually. Too many Christians complain about the darkness and not enough shine the light of Jesus in the darkness. And we're called to be the light of this world, to go out and to share Jesus in the dark places, to be focused on who Jesus is, once again, content with who He is. But the disciples, they were desensitized to Jesus' message. Are you desensitized or numb to the teachings and the commands of Jesus? Maybe His Word, has, it's become numb in your heart. How important is God's Word to you? Are you in it daily? Because it's the Word of God that has the power to save, and it's God's Word that's going to change our hearts. But the disciples are blind to the spiritual truth Jesus was sharing. Are you blind to what Scripture is commanding you to do? And maybe God has been putting a command and a calling in your life for you to do, and you've been so hard-hearted toward it, and you're not fulfilling it, and Jesus is here gently reminding you, do what He's commanded you to do. Don't be desensitized to Jesus' commands. So let's see how Jesus responds to this in verses 17 through 21. But Jesus, being aware of it, said to them, Why do you reason because you have no bread? Do you not yet perceive nor understand? Is your heart still hardened? Having eyes, do you not see? And having ears, do you not hear? And do you not remember? When I broke the five loaves for the five thousand, how many baskets full of fragments did you take up? They said to him, Twelve. Also, when I broke the seven for the four thousand, how many large baskets full of fragments did you take up? And they said, seven. So he said to them, how is it you do not understand? I love Jesus' response. Jesus, he rebukes the disciples here. Notice the first thing. Jesus knew exactly what the disciples' response was. Though they said it amongst themselves, Jesus was still aware of it because Jesus sees and knows the heart. And I think that's really important for us to remember because many times... We try to hide what's in our heart, but God knows. He sees everything. He knows all that is within us. When we come and serve and stand before God, we might appear righteous, but God sees our hearts. He sees everything in it. And He knew exactly what the disciples were saying. So Jesus, He asked the disciples some questions here, and these questions most certainly apply to us as well. And I think we're going to see here the contributions to spiritual blindness within these questions that Jesus asks. So we're going to look at three of them. Number one, Jesus says, do you not understand? Number two, Jesus asked, is your heart hard? And number three, do you not remember? And we're going to find that all three of these things, they contribute to spiritual blindness. And so maybe you've been spiritually blind this week or this month or this year, and you're wondering what's contributing to that. What is hardening your heart to these things And these very well could be the contributions. So number one, Jesus said, do you not understand? The word understand, it means to think upon or to perceive. And Jesus is asking the disciples, 
Are you not thinking about who I am and what I am able to do? When we fail to think on who Jesus is and when we fail to think on his mighty power, we become discouraged and we doubt what God is capable and able to do. The disciples were worried that there wasn't enough food, even though Jesus just multiplied the bread a couple days ago for them. But they weren't thinking on Jesus. Their mind wasn't fixed on him. And because of this, they were blind to what Jesus was able to do. And when we don't think on Jesus, we lose sight of the peace that he has so freely given us. We lose sight of the freedom that he's given us. There are so many Christians today who say, Lord, please give me peace. Well, he's given you peace. But your eyes are not on the peace. Oh, Lord, please set me free. Jesus has set you free. But you're, you're not fixed on the freedom that he's given you. Why? Because your mind is not fixed on Jesus. Isaiah chapter 26, verse 3 says this, You will keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on you, because he trusts in you. Number two, Jesus asked, is your heart hard? When our hearts are hard, we are not walking in the truth of the word. Instead, we're walking in pride and we're walking in sin. And our hearts become hard, and the more that we live lifestyles of sin, the more we're rooting ourselves with pride, the more that pride sits there in your heart, it's just hardening it. It's causing your heart to grow harder. That's why it needs to be dealt with. A hardened heart stays away from God's word. And the more we stay away from God's word, the more our hearts become calloused to the commands that Jesus has given us. Jesus commanded us to go out, make disciples, baptize, and to share his, his truth with all nations. And that command's not exclusive to a certain person or people group. It's for all people. But many Christians don't do these things because their heart has become hardened to the commands of God. So many are spiritually blind to these truths, and it causes them to no longer obey, but to continue in the hardness of their heart. And it happens to all of us. It happened to me a lot this past week. My heart was hard. I didn't really want to see people. And God had to convict me. Go out and do what I called you to do. But it took me having to go back to the Word of God, because as we're away from God's Word, our heart becomes hard. I remember when we moved here, well, maybe a year and a half ago, a lot of churches still weren't meeting, and I had put a post on Facebook, which praised God for His grace. I've become better with that. And it, wasn't, it was nothing derogatory. I just said, there's no excuse to not be in fellowship. That was not received well. Many people, they said, I can't go out and fellowship. I'll give you an excuse. I'm ministering to my neighbors by not going out because they're fearful that I'll get them sick, and I'm respecting them. That's how I'm reaching them. And, I, you know, I don't say this in judgment, but that's a scary thing to say. That's a scary thing to say. We're called to go out and share Jesus, not hide away. Go out and share Jesus. Why? Because that neighbor might not get sick, but they might spend eternity in hell. Why? Because the truth of Jesus was never shared with them. The Bible says, how will they hear unless someone tells them? And so when our hearts are hard to the commands of Jesus, we start to come up with justifications as to why we're not being obedient. And once again, I'm guilty of it. We all are. But a hard heart doesn't see the world as Jesus sees it. A hard heart isn't broken for the lost. Instead, it's full of fear, pride, contempt. Number three, the last question we'll look at. Jesus said, have you not remembered or have you forgotten? The last component of spiritual blindness is a lack of remembrance. When we refuse to remember how powerful Jesus is and what he's done, we will more than likely lose sight of what he's able to do. The disciples, they had forgotten the fact that Jesus had just fed 5,000 people with five loaves of bread. And then he just fed 4,000 people with seven loaves of bread. 
They had forgotten who Jesus is and what he's able to do. They forgot his mighty work that he had just done. And this is why scripture is so clear and we're told over and over again, remember, remember who Jesus is. Because the disciples refused to remember the mighty working of Jesus and what he had already done, they worried and doubted about the present. Once again, I'm guilty. I think we all are. We do this oftentimes. We get so worried and so doubtful about how we're going to make it through certain hardships because we fail to remember and acknowledge what Jesus had already done for us. I just finished reading through Jeremiah and Lamentations, and they're always a hard one for me to get through, but I made it. But Lamentations, Jeremiah is going through and he's, he, he says how upset he is and how hard it is for him because his people are suffering and they're so sinful and God's pouring out his wrath. But he gets to a point in chapter 3 where he just says, but this is what I put my hope in. And he says, great is your faithfulness, Lord. Great are your compassions. He remembers who God is and it gives him hope to carry on and get through the circumstance that he's in. What a great truth for each one of us. But Satan wants nothing more than for us to forget who Jesus is. So with these things said, what is the cure for spiritual blindness? What is the remedy? I think we can glean that from these questions. Number one, our thoughts need to be on Jesus. We need to be thinking on Him, taking everything to Him in prayer. Number two, we need to be in the Word of God because the remedy for a hard heart is being in the Word, being in fellowship, and being in worship. And number three, the key to remembering is pretty simple. Remembering. Remembering who Jesus is. Remembering what He's done for you. And this is why there's so much power in a testimony and sharing what Jesus has done for your life. Let's look at verses 22 through 26 and we'll finish up with these verses. Then he came to Bethsaida and they brought a blind man to him and begged him to touch him. So he took the blind man by the hand and led him out of the town. And when he had spit on his eyes and put his hands on him, he asked him if he saw anything. And he looked up and said, I see men like trees walking. Then he put his hands on his eyes again and made him look up, and he was restored and saw everyone clearly. Then he sent him away to his house, saying, Neither go into the town nor tell anyone in the town. So Jesus arrives to Bethsaida, and this is northeast of the Sea of Galilee, around 12 to 13 kilometers from Magdala, where he just was. And as Jesus arrives here, they bring a blind man to him. Now, I have so many questions with this story. Where do I even start? Number one, this story is the only story account of this particular blind man in the Gospels, Mark's the only one to record it. And and John wrote this at the end of the Gospel of John, if Jesus, if his miracles were all recorded, the world itself couldn't contain it. So why is this in Scripture, and why is this important for us? My next question is, Jesus took this blind man out of the town. Why wouldn't he just heal him in the town? Why would he take him out? Then my next question is, why would Jesus spit on this man to heal him and not just merely say a word? We know Jesus is able to do it. He just told a demon to leave a girl without even touching this girl last week. So why did he have to spit on him? So I have many questions. But let's start with this. It's not a coincidence that Jesus encountered this blind man. There were no coincidences with Jesus. And I think it's pretty amazing as Jesus was teaching the disciples a lesson about spiritual blindness, here comes a man who is physically blind. And I think within this healing of this man, Jesus was trying to teach his disciples a very valuable and important lesson. So Jesus takes this man by the hand and leads him outside the town. Why? I believe very simply, Jesus was going to heal this man, but he wanted people to believe in him for who he was, not for what he was able to do. Because once again, he knew signs and wonders didn't produce faith. Right? 
Surely if Jesus healed this man in the city, it would draw many others to come to Jesus who wouldn't want to surrender, who would just come to see what they could glean and what they could get from him. But true faith is believing in Jesus, believing in what we don't see. Hebrews 11.1 says, Faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. And this is the kind of faith that Jesus is after, but we've become so tangible with faith. We want to believe what we see and what we feel and what we can touch instead of merely taking Jesus at his word. So I believe Jesus led him outside to avoid a big spectacle from happening. Which leads me to my next question. If Jesus is able to heal by merely speaking a word, why did he spit on this man? It's a weird thing to do. Uh, It is a weird thing to do. Why would Jesus spit on this man to heal his eyes? Well, I believe once again Jesus was teaching the disciples a lesson here. Now, according to Roman historians, it was recorded that the Jewish rabbis or the religious leaders oftentimes believed that saliva was a treatment for blindness. What their reasoning was, I have no idea. But that's what they believed. They believed it was a treatment for blind people. If you notice, when Jesus spits on the blind man and tells him to look up, the man's sight wasn't completely restored. Right? He said, I see men like trees walking. And then Jesus once again touches his eyes and told him to look up. And his sight was completely restored just as clearly as everyone else. And I believe Jesus was showing the disciples that it's not the physical that heals and opens blind eyes. It's the power of Jesus. And and the religious leaders were so focused on what they could do and their tools. And they thought that they could reach people with what they had. But ultimately, it wasn't their tools that reached people. It was Jesus and it was the power of God. And I'm not claiming this is the interpretation. It's merely my speculation as to why Jesus did this. Could very well be that he used his saliva to get the eyelids apart. I don't know. Right? But I think it could be a very valuable lesson here for the disciples. Only Jesus and only the power and working of God can open blind eyes. And maybe you're here today and you're blind. Jesus wants to restore your sight. And I'm not talking about physically blind. I'm talking about spiritually blind. You've been going all this week desensitized to the Word of God and to the commands of Jesus. Your heart has been hard for ministry. It's been hardened to be in the Word of God. Your thoughts haven't been fixed on Jesus. And if that's you today, Jesus wants to restore your sight just like he restored this man's sight in this story. Or perhaps you're here and you don't know Jesus as your Lord and Savior. You have blinders over your eyes that Satan has put there and Jesus wants to remove them and he wants you to come to a knowledge of the truth. All you need to do is surrender to him. He loves you. He died for you. He rose again for you. And all it takes is surrender. But for those who are spiritually blind, who are Christians, sometimes it's harder to get free from this because many times we don't acknowledge that we need to be healed. And if there's pride in your heart that's been coming in between you and the ministry that God has called you to, you need to repent of that pride. It has no place in your heart. And I'm telling you, if you let it sit and fester, it's going to lead to destruction. Pride needs to be dealt with and it needs to be dealt with quickly. And Jesus is able and he's willing to heal. All we need to do is come and surrender to him. So I'll wrap up with this. Today we looked at Mark 8, verses 11 through 26, and we saw how Jesus once again contends with the religious leaders. And the religious leaders, they were spiritually blind, and all they were doing was demanding more signs from Jesus instead of merely surrendering to Him for who He was. And Jesus, He didn't force Himself on the religious leaders. He didn't give them a sign. He left. And as He was going on the Sea of Galilee, He was continuing to teach His disciples. And he called his disciples out because they too were being blind to what Jesus was trying to do. And he told them, you need to have your thoughts fixed on me. A hard heart is not going to be useful in ministry. And you need to remember me. You need to remember my power and what I've done. And the same is true for us. 
And finally, we saw Jesus miraculously restore the sight of a physically blind man. A story that should encourage us that as Jesus is able to do this, so he's able to restore our sight spiritually. And if you're here today and you need to receive your sight spiritually, I encourage you with this. Jesus is willing and he's able. All you need to do is surrender and acknowledge that you need to be healed. In order to be healed, you need to recognize your need for healing. And if there's pride in your heart, I challenge you, take that to the Lord now. Pray, repent of it. What, will, what can God do with a heart of pride? Well, God can do anything. What will He do with a heart of pride? He refuses to use it because He casts down the haughty. He hates pride. The glory, the focus, the attention needs to be on Jesus. So let's pray, and then we'll continue to worship. Heavenly Father, we just thank You, Lord, for Your goodness. Thank You for Your mercy and grace. And thank You that You are compassionate, Lord, and that You are, Lord, willing to forgive. And God, we just acknowledge that we, we need You. Lord, we acknowledge that you are so great, you're so high above us, that you've done great things for us, Lord, and we're, we're glad for what you've done for us, Lord. Please forgive us, Lord, for our pride. Forgive us, Lord, when we take the focus and the attention off of you and we put it on ourselves. Forgive us, Lord, when our mind is not fixed on you, when we doubt you, when we question you, Lord. Forgive us, Father, when our hearts are hard. Forgive us, Lord, when we fail to remember who you are and what you've done, that you've saved us. Lord, each one of us in here, Lord, we each have a testimony. A testimony, Lord, that you have saved and redeemed us and you have, Lord, taken us out of the bondage of the enemy. Thank you, Lord. We rejoice in our salvation, God. Lord, we want to know you more, God, and so we pray that you would take us deeper with you. Challenge our hearts, Lord. Grow us in our faith. And Lord, show us if there's any sin that we need to repent of, Lord. Any sin that's been coming in between us and the ministry you've called us to. And Lord, may we be bright burning lights for you in this dark world. Lord, not hiding back but going out with boldness and confidence, Lord, sharing to all who you are and what you've done for us. In Jesus' name, amen.